Welcome back to Brojo Online. Thank you for your patience. I've actually been away for a couple of weeks or a couple of months really with new fatherhood responsibilities and I've had to dig up archived recordings that I used for special secret events and such and post those as podcasts so the quality wouldn't have been that great but uh, I wanted to give you guys something one I couldn't really provide so hopefully that was good enough. Today we are going to talk about caring what other people think. It's not the first time I've talked about it, but I want to approach it from a different angle today. Essentially, what I'm going to be sharing is how my own psychopathy has allowed me to get to a point where I quite genuinely care very little what other people think of me. And it's not some special trait. It's actually something that can be learned, and I want to pass it on to you. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity. I want to start by planting a seed. If you were your own source of validation and approval, and you were the entire source, if you completely filled that cup yourself, you would have no emotional reaction whatsoever to other people's opinions, or at least you wouldn't have a harmful one. You might be interested or curious, surprised, shocked even by what other people think of you, but without taking it personally. You wouldn't have any sense that it has anything to do with you it would just be like hearing about their opinions of someone else and you just find it interesting or weird spooky but you don't ever have your self-worth moved in any way by the opinion of another person i want to plant that seed if you were your own source of validation other people's opinions of you wouldn't affect your confidence that's the headline to this really If you can understand what I've just said, then you have the secret to unbreakable social confidence in that nobody else can do anything to your confidence. So, I'm almost a psychopath. Some of you would have heard me talk about this before. I was involved in a scientifically valid study. Uh, I think it was done by the University of Toronto. I was kind of remote participant. I was part of Whatever the experimental group, there's a control group somewhere that I'm not aware of. Anyway, I had to do this test on the dark triad traits, which are the three sort of main areas of focus that psychology looks at to assess somebody for psychopathy. Things like narcissistic personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, the kind of stuff that we call sociopaths and psychopaths, which is kind of slang for uh, disorders and places on a spectrum of traits so anyway i did the test and basically i scored like 70 percent we'll put it that way it's not exactly what happened but that's close enough i am almost a psychopath now what that means is there's three dark triad traits the first one is ruthlessness i scored very highly for that that's actually something i've learned more than anything else i learned at working department of corrections i had to make Big calls that rocked a lot of people's worlds. You know, I had to put people in prison, disrupt their family, make them lose their job. I had to separate family members because I worked with a lot of sex offenders. You know, the people I had to say, you'll never see your own children again, not under our watch. I had to do stuff like that. And I had to do it quickly and I had to do it directly. I couldn't fart around or sugarcoat it or try to make people feel good. I just had to rip off the band aid and expose the wound. And I, got, and I can do that without 
I guess it's not without empathy, but I can do it without sympathy. I can do it, have the person bawling and crying and outraged in front of me and not feel anything of what they're feeling, not feel sorry for them, to just be at peace with my decision, just knowing it's the right thing to do and just waiting for the storm to blow over, essentially. I can put myself in a position where somebody else can have a huge emotional reaction to what I'm doing, but I don't react to their reaction. I'm just like a a stone, you know, cold. So I can do that. I can turn it on and off to some extent. You know, I'm much more likely to be affected by my wife than I am by some client whose heart I break with the truth about who they are or something. So I have that ruthlessness, but, you know, to be fair to myself, I don't use it to harm people, which is what people often associate with the word ruthless. They think of it as like harming in a selfish and uncaring way. Well, I do hurt people's feelings and so on, it's always with their best intentions in mind. And the feedback I get from people like my clients is that it's exactly what they needed and they're glad that I did it. That's the kind of ruthlessness I engage in. I do what's needed for the greater good. I'm the person who will pull the lever to kill one person in order to save five lives, you know. I could do that. Uh, The second trait, uh, dark triad trait, is Machiavellianism. Um, after the great Machiavelli, who wrote the book on, I think it's called How to Be a Prince or How to Be a King. No, he was a prince, and it's called How to Be a King. Anyway, it's about manipulation. How manipulative you are, how good you are at essentially influencing people. And, I mean, that's what I do for a job, is I influence people. And I must do it all right, because, you know, it's putting food on the table consistently for me. Now, a lot of people think of the word manipulation in a negative connotation, but it's actually a neutral word. It's just moving some other object, moving something else. I can move people. I can encourage people to do things that they're too scared to do, but are right for them. I can discourage people from engaging in self-sabotaging behaviors. I can help people figure out who they really are, which changes their behavior for the rest of their life. So I can have a big impact on somebody's behavior, and I know how to do that. I just instinctively know how to sort of push the emotional buttons to get them what they actually want. Now, I could easily use that for evil, and I have done so in the past. I've used it to get women into bed who weren't really that interested in me, for example. Um, Back in my more insecure days, I used the manipulation skill to make people like me, and I was very good at it. But it was, you know, really sort of unhealthy intentions. These days, I feel quite secure in my intentions. I know I'm doing things for the best interest of the other person, because I always ask them what their best interests are and make sure that I line up with that. But, you know, if if I wanted to be an evil person, I could be. I, I'm aware of that kind of darkness in me, and I have to keep an eye on it. And the third, so I scored highly for that one, and, and the third and final trait is the one I didn't score so highly on, that is what's called psychopathy. And mostly it's about a lack of conscience, about not caring, not having compassion or empathy for others. Uh, not understanding emotions. While I do have quite a low emotional affect, like I'm not a very emotional guy, I do feel for other people, I do care about other people. I mean, my whole career is dedicated to helping people suffer less, and I will help people anonymously, you know, I'll do it just for the, the joy of doing it, and so on. So I just really don't score too highly for that trait. But that's who I am. I've made my peace with it, and I've actually come to see that I'm quite lucky in a sense, to have this kind of personality. There's some things I miss out on, for example, you know, I watch my wife have extreme moments of joy 
I don't think I've ever gotten that high, you know, without artificial uh, intervention. You know, I, I've never been as happy as I've seen my wife be, but I've also never been as down as I've seen her be. So I don't have the range that other people have. You know, just having a daughter now, you should see her face light up when she wakes up and sees that we're waiting for her. It's kind of our little tradition. We try to be there that when she first opens her eyes, she sees both of us. The joy, the unbounded joy that she's every time that she feels, the big, what my, my wife calls the American smile that she has every time she sees us. I don't think I've ever been that happy, you know. <laughs> I'm almost I'm a little bit jealous of her in a sense. It's just that pure joy that I just don't think I'm capable of. So there are some downsides, but for the most part, what it means, well, what I've learned to harness this kind of traits that I have is that I can make big moves and take big risks without panicking. I find it easy, relatively easy to face my fears and do uncomfortable things. And most importantly for today... I've learned how to utilize these traits to get to a point where I've genuinely pretty much cured myself of caring what other people think. And I've got to say, I've gone full from one end of the spectrum to the other. I used to care about nothing but that. My entire enjoyment of life was based solely on other people's opinions of me. If they were positive, I had a good time. If they were negative, I had a bad time. And there was almost no other factors involved. I could have good times by myself, you know, I used to enjoy just reading a nice book, you know, or getting stoned and watching a movie, I might have sort of moments of pleasure like that, but as soon as someone else is around me, whatever other sources of self-worth I was using get wiped off the board, and it would just depend entirely on that person's reaction to me, with a few exceptions, but for the most part, that was consistent. So I've gone from a person hugely neurotic super sensitive to other people's feelings about me and opinions and beliefs to someone who you know I really just don't care at all now it's, it's bizarre and I, I was surprised by that I knew working on myself would lead to some sort of improvement in that area at least that was the hope but I'd made my peace with the idea maybe I'd always be a bit you know affected by what other people think and so on and I won't pretend that I'm a hundred percent there maybe I should have used more clear words i'm not a hundred percent there like someone gave one of my books a one-star review the other day and i felt a little bit like ouch but it was brief and it was shallow and it went away relatively quickly in fact most of my thinking about it was do i actually care and i finally concluded that i don't so i do sometimes feel a little like blip on the radar but if anything, that exception to the rule just shows me how little I do care because it happens so infrequently and at such a shallow rate that, you know, it never ruins my day. Now, it might sound like I'm bragging, and I, of course, psychopaths are grandiose, so there's a good chance that I am. But I also want to point out that I don't believe that I am especially talented or that what I know can't be learned by others. Essentially, I see myself in this sense as... I'm kind of like a, a black belt and not caring what people think, and anybody can become a black belt if they're willing to do the work. So I'm not special, I've just, I've just done the work, that's all. I'm shameless about that, I've earned this freedom from people's opinions, but I am not gifted 
you know, I don't have the sense of grandiosity that some psychopaths do about being God and being special. I know I'm not. I just learn things that other people can learn. Also, I have some natural talents that I guess give me an advantage, but aren't necessary. If you're a sensitive empath, uh, or whatever, the opposite of, of psychopath, if you're the opposite of ruthless and totally unmanipulative and highly emotional, you can still learn this stuff. You can still make steps. You can still get at least purple belt, you know, where it doesn't ruin your day or your week if someone hates you or someone thinks you're a loser or your mum criticizes you or someone bullies you at work or whatever. So today I want to try and pass on what I've learned. I want to try and deconstruct how I got from only caring about what other people think to almost never caring and having much higher self-confidence as a result. Don't know if I can do it in one podcast, but we can give it a nudge. And of course, if by the end of this you think you get it, but you want more personal assistance, just get in touch with me, dan at brojo.org, and we can look at uh, accelerating your progress there. Let's start with a definition. I think we should always do that. What does caring what other people think actually mean? That's the term we usually use, isn't it? Caring what other people think. But it's not really an accurate term to what we're talking about. Because I can care what other people think without it affecting my confidence. I still care what other people think. And I actually care what they think of me. But I care as in I'm curious about it, not as in my self-worth is dependent or indeed affected at all by it. So if someone hates me, I don't think less of myself. And if someone loves me, I don't think more of myself. Where I used to be completely controlled by those forces. But that doesn't mean I don't want to know if someone hates me. That's important information to have. That's someone I should put less effort into investing with, you know. And if someone loves me, maybe that's someone I should consider spending more time with, right? It's just information that's very helpful. And if someone thinks I'm a liar and I know that I'm honest, I'll be like, well, how did they come to that conclusion? I just, I like to know how I'm perceived from the outside world. It's more of a, huh, interesting than it used to be, which was, a, oh my god, I've got to change who I am to make them like me. So caring what people think doesn't quite state it. What it really means is that your validation, your sense of being a good person, is based almost entirely on real or imagined opinions that other people hold of you. That's what we really should be saying. Not care what other people think, but basing your sense of self-validation and approval on other people's opinions. I carefully emphasize imagined opinions because a lot of the time you're not actually getting this information directly and honestly from the source. You're guessing, aren't you? You you trust your guesses 100% so it feels like real information. You know, you might be talking in a group and you see somebody roll their eyes and you'll assume, yes, that person definitely thinks I'm boring. But you don't actually go and check, do you? You don't go, did you roll your eyes because you think I'm boring? You just go, no, that's I'm, I'm an excellent reader of people though that's never been proven. But you assume that you are. Everybody thinks they're a good judge of character. And most people, well, nearly everyone isn't. And so you just you just lock that away as evidence. Like, that person definitely didn't like me. You know, and that person definitely judges me as too fat. And that person thinks I'm a loser. You never actually ask. You never, almost never hear these words directly. The kind of bullying you might have had in high school or criticism from your you know, parents or whatever... That's rare compared to the number of times you've imagined what someone's opinion is and locked it away as evidence. I really want to emphasize that because the realization of that went a long way to helping me get to where I am today. 
who I realise it's not other people's opinions that are hurting me. It's my guess of their opinion, which is really just my opinion. If it's not theirs and it's inside my mind, I mean, whose is it, right? It doesn't matter if I attribute it to them. I'm just blaming them for something I think of myself. So there's a lot of mind reading, as I call it, and assumptions. It's where you look at someone, assume you can read their mind, and then just go, case closed. I am right about this person. No need to find out for sure. No need to validate this evidence. We can just sentence me guilty as charged, and here's the punishment. You're a fucking loser, right? And because we're always doing mind reading, we don't actually want to go and ask people what they think of us. God forbid. So we have to develop a kind of mind reading system which is essentially a hypersensitivity to body language. It can be also to the words and stuff, but it's mostly we watch people carefully, guess what they're thinking of us, obviously based on the presupposition that they are thinking of us, that very self-centered view of the world that we're the center of everyone's minds, like they actually give a fuck about us half the time. But we assume that everyone's just constantly judging us all the time because they've got nothing better to think about, right? Like we're just the top priority in their world. And based on micro expressions, slight movements of proximity, voice tone, decisions they make about where they spend their time, who they spend it with and what they do, we come to conclusions of their opinion about us. And we can do this, we can come to a huge detailed conclusion on very little evidence. Right. I remember one time I was giving a speech, I think it was, I was at the front of a room running a workshop, that's what I was doing, I was running a workshop, Department of Corrections, and someone at the back yawned and said something to their friend, and I drew this massive, of that, of that data, I drew this massive conclusion about how they're mocking me, and they think I'm boring, and that, like, imposter syndrome, like, they're like, what's this dude doing running a workshop when he's so young and he doesn't know what he's talking about? Huge thing. And most likely scenarios, the dude just yawned. I always yawn when I'm in an air-conditioned room as well. And I also talk to people when I'm in workshops. It's usually got nothing to do with the person running the workshop. And yet, when this guy did it, I assumed it was all about me, and it was a very negative, detailed opinion. So we do that. We're hypersensitive, always looking out for those threats of body language and drawing gigantic, very unscientific conclusions. And it leads to this overriding constant so constant you don't even know it's there anxiety neuroticism this just heightened sense of worry all the time in social situations just a kind of radar constantly pinging looking for threats making judgments making assessments always trying to further enhance the accuracy of what do other people think of me and why do they think that And you'll notice that you do this without collecting any real data, without going to somebody and saying, look, what do you think of me? Be honest. Just guessing. Guessing and believing your guesses fervently. Believing your guesses with the devotion of a jihadist for Islam. Right? That kind of level of faith in your guesses. And there's this, there's this constant threat of ostracism, isn't there? You, the reason you're doing this, the reason you care what other people think, is you're trying to come up with a risk ratio. How likely are you to be abandoned and embarrassed and humiliated and left alone and ostracized? You're looking at your social status and your ranking in the group. Am I at the bottom, you wonder? You hope you're not. You worry that you are. Am I in the bottom 
percentage that gets cut from the group? Am I going to be excluded? Am I going to be mocked and bullied? Will there be some greater consequence? Will I lose my job from being disliked? You're constantly just radar pinging, trying to pick up on any threats that need to be squashed in regards to that. That's what caring what other people think means, right? Why do we care? Why do we care what other people think? How has that become something that we believe is relevant? When's the last time you even asked that question? You know that you do care about what other people think. That's been firmly firmly established, and you know what that means to you and how you go about doing it. When's the last time you asked, why do I do this? You know, why don't I do something else? It's, it's a great question to ask about anything you do, especially when you've gotten into an autopilot life, as so many people have. Especially when you care what other people think, you'll often make decisions to try and get approval, which means you'll stray right away from who you really are. And you end up in like a job or a relationship or even a city you live in, and you can't really figure out why you're there. Like, why am I in this job? How did I, how did I arrive at this place? You know, if you've ever been like me, if you've ever been sitting in a cubicle in an office going, fuck, this is fucking boring. And then just going, why am I here? And tried to like work backwards the cause and effect chain that led you to this place. You'll find that at the beginning is caring what somebody else thought. In fact, that was present throughout the whole thing. And why? Why do we care what other people think? Why do we see this as such an important, threatening thing? Well, there's lots of reasons, isn't there? And they all date back to childhood. They all date back to a time where our brain was literally immature, it had not fully formed yet. We don't really achieve sort of cognitive completion until our late teens. And some people the rest of development never really achieve it. But we make huge decisions on how we're going to run the rest of our life well before that. We come up with these strategies and these assumptions and beliefs before we can even think critically. I mean, you can't really think critically, like skeptically until you're at least eight or nine years old. Imagine the amount of beliefs you form before that, before you can even, like, doubt information, how much you've already locked in is true. Look at school. You know, how smart you are, how valuable you'll be to society is decided by other people. They make the tests. They tell you what you're supposed to know. They don't even tell you what's going to be in the test, so even when they teach you, you don't know which parts you're supposed to learn. And then how well you do in the test determines whether you're smart or dumb, according to some people who you know nothing about. Teachers, education system, and everybody around you validates it. If you did bad in the test, you're a bad boy. If you did good in the test, you're a good boy. And we don't even stop and go, really? Is that the best we can do to figure out who the fuck I am and how valuable I am? This system designed in the industrial era to create more people to go to war and build cars and factory lines. This is what I'm judging myself worth on. But it is, isn't it? We all knew who the dumb kids were, didn't we? And we all knew who the smart kids were and those safe, mediocre kids in the middle. And it all came down to how well you did in the exam or what class they placed you in. If you got held back or you got bumped forward... We got given privileges or had them taken away. And it's amazing just how fucking inaccurate that system is. It's miles off. I'll give you two examples that really stand out to me. Uh, both people I know. I was in the smart class. 
more of a mistake than anything else, but I was there. And I was surrounded by like literal geniuses, people with genius level IQs. And there was one particular girl and she was, in my mind, I'm sure she was going to be a scientist. I mean, she got like an A plus in physics, which is just the hardest fucking topic ever. Physics is, a, physics is like calculus. It's just a nightmare of mathematics. You have to be like a beautiful mind to even get anywhere in it. I failed it. Anyway, so she did really well. And then 10 years later, I saw her again working in the warehouse for probably like $11 an hour. And that was her full career. What the fuck happened to her? A similar and opposite case is a good friend of mine who used to get kicked out of class because he was so disruptive and the only thing he did well in was automotive and um, all the metalwork and woodwork, all those trade classes. He bombed and everything else. He was in the stupid class and right now he runs a successful six, soon to be seven figure mechanic business. School didn't tell a shit about what was going to happen to those two kids. It didn't tell a shit about their abilities or their worth. It actually gave us quite the opposite reading. And they are not rare exceptions. It's amazing how many people go and get an MBA, a business degree, and then don't do very well in entrepreneurship, and how many people bomb out of school early and do really well with entrepreneurship. There are so many different ways to measure intelligence, and school only measures one, and it doesn't even do that very well. So, straight from the beginning, we're told you can actually be judged quantitatively by people you don't know teachers and the school system and what they say about you is true then of course there's pleasing our parents if you had parents that were at all unstable or scary or threatening if you had any sort of attachment issues with your parents you quickly tried to figure out how do i prevent the stuff that i find uncomfortable or painful and that's where the hypersensitivity begins trying to read those people closest to you to reduce the amount of suffering that you might have in their presence How do I be a good boy so the dad isn't angry? How do I be more distant from mum so that she doesn't smother me? You know, we start to like try and read their moods and read their minds because they're far too scary to talk to directly. And we're a kid. We think everything revolves around us. We can't possibly fathom that their bad moods or bad behavior isn't related to us, that we're actually the victims of it. And they were like this before we were born. We We can't figure that out when we're kids. So we take everything personally. And therefore see it as our personal responsibility to manage it. Or if you're bullied in school, or just ostracized, left out like I was. I wasn't bullied hard, but I just couldn't fit in in my first couple of schools. And, you know, I didn't want to stand out. I saw what happened to the kids who didn't have support. It's like, you know, it's like going to prison and you won't join a gang. You're just easy meat, right? So I got to reading people carefully to try and prevent and predict harm. You know, to try and make sure that nothing bad was going to happen to me. Again, I had to be very careful. I had to just watch someone, the way they're looking at me, the way they treat others, and think, you know, what's the likelihood I'm about to get harmed? How do I get out of this situation? And eventually you start to pick up on cues, like, hey, you know what, if I'm funny and make people laugh and be silly, I feel a lot safer. So you start to think, man, I've got to make sure people think I'm funny. And then you start to worry that they don't. And just in general, throughout your life, you are constantly being judged and made to believe that this has some sort of objective, valid meaning for your worth as a person. You think when you get denied for the job interview that you're somehow less of a person than the person who got the job. 
When you don't make as much money as the person next to you, they're better than you. When you weigh more than your friend, they're prettier than you. This constant ranking and assessment and you coming out second best. You'll notice you don't focus on the people below you unless you're a grandiose psychopath, right? You don't look at the homeless person and say, fuck, I'm kicking ass compared to that dude. Now you look at the guy who got 3% better than you in the last exam at school and think, fuck, he's smarter than me. Most of the people listening to the podcast right now have access to the internet, which means they have access to electricity, which means you're doing better than a lot of people on this planet. And a lot of you are listening to this in first world countries like the UK, USA, New Zealand, Australia, Sweden, Norway, which means you're in the top 5% of the whole world. But you're not looking below you, are you? You're not saying, fuck, I am crushing it. I am so lucky and I am so fucking on top of things compared to most people on this planet. You're just looking at your neighbor who's doing slightly better than you in some specific area, or at least you imagine they are, and you think, man, I'm a loser. Or you think, more importantly to this podcast, you think, he thinks I'm a loser. So I want to put it out there, you can still care what other people think without having your confidence affected. You can be curious, but already validated. Like your cup's full and now you're just finding out information. You have an interest in others, but it's not about you personally. You're no more interested in their opinion of you than you are of their opinion of anyone else. You're just interested in people, if, if at all. And maybe you don't have any interest in anybody's opinions, you can get there as well. But let's have a look now at how psychopathy my sort of natural tendencies have helped me stop caring what people think. Now, I partly, I just don't know what the, what's going to help you guys the most. So I'm just going to share everything I could think of as to what's occurred for me that I believe is a factor in not caring what people think of me anymore. Okay, so first and foremost, rational assessment. I quite quickly came to the conclusion that other people's opinions are essentially worthless when it comes to figuring out who I am and how good I am as a person. There's a few reasons for this. And one is, weird as it sounds, the arrow of time. Those of you who are aware of uh, physics and cosmology, the arrow of time just talks about how time always goes forward. It goes in this one direction, which means everything is linear. One thing happens after another thing. Nothing happens in parallel. You never have two things happening simultaneously to affect one chain of events. So for example, my life has just been one step after another, and there's always been in that order, which means everything that ever happened to me has made me who I am today. Even the things that you would say are insignificant, like what I ate for breakfast in June of 1987, well, that that was as much in this chain of uh, cause and effect to create who I am as when I first had sex. Or when I ran out of money and had to be homeless. Those things all happened in order. One happened after the other. Each one affecting the other. So there's really no way of knowing what affected me more or less. I can make up stories about it. But essentially, all I can really come to the conclusion is everything that ever happened to me has made me who I am today. It all contributed. Now, why does that matter? Because it means that if I form an opinion right here and now, My entire life has led up to that opinion. My experiences in the womb, my first three years, how my parents treated me and any attachment issues that came up, 
my first schooling experiences, my ability to integrate with the other students, my success or failure in the classroom, my enjoyment or lack thereof of hobbies and sports, going to teenage years, my puberty, my first kind of romantic excursions, I guess you'd call it, uh, my development of my vocation and skills, and on and on and on. All of that, if I right now think, you know what, uh, people should probably stop eating dairy because it's not good for us, everything that's ever happened to me somehow contributes to that conclusion. Even something minor as going for a walk on a beach one day. Somehow that adds to the opinion I have. Now, when someone has an opinion about me, their entire life has formed that opinion. Every bullshit thing they learn that isn't true, every cognitive bias they've ever had, their formed beliefs when they were younger, all their childhood strategies to avoid pain socially. Even the fact that they're judging me tells me so much about them. So if someone comes with a negative opinion of me, all I know is their whole life has led up to this moment where the best they can do with their time is have a negative opinion of me. Of all the things available for them to do, to think about, to believe, that's what they chose. Or should I say it wasn't even a choice because I kind of believe in determinism. How on earth can I take that personally? How can that be about me? Quite often I do a rational assessment, I figure out the actual percentage that I've been in this person's life, in terms of hours, and it gets redonkulously small when you've just met someone. So let's say you just meet someone and you say something, like you tell a joke and they don't laugh and you feel really like bummed out about it. You've been part of their life for such a tiny fraction of a percentage that you couldn't even fit it on a calculator. 0. 0.00000, I keep saying zero for like half an hour. 1%. That's how long you've been in their life. And that's how long they've been in yours. That's how much time they've had to judge who you are. And you're taking that opinion seriously? You think that that's going to be an accurate perception of who you are? Not only that, but the people judging you and assessing you are basically amateur wannabe psychologists, aren't they? They're saying that they know who you are. How many of them are actually masters in this field? How many times have you felt judged and ridiculed by somebody who's got a doctorate in neuroscience? Somebody who is a behavioral expert? Even shit, somebody who's a biologist? Somebody who has some relevance in the field of judging great apes like humans? Odds are, almost none of the time. Most of the people judging you, at best, are amateur human assessors, aren't they? The, the ability to assess other humans is poor. What you'll often notice is you'll see evidence of this in their life. Say they've been manipulated and fucked over by people, or they're in a bad relationship, or they've got superficial friends, or they're in a crappy job. These are all signs of somebody who's not very good at reading people, not very good at assessing other humans, not even very good at assessing themselves. So there's this kind of rational assessment I do where I go, like, statistically speaking, how seriously should I take this opinion? And almost without fail, I come down to, like, almost 0%. Now, there's some people who score highly. My wife, my parents, maybe my closest friends. But guess what? Their opinions never hurt my feelings. They're always just helpful information. It's always good feedback. And even then, it's still amateur because even the people closest to me, and I'm an honest-as-fuck guy, 
they still only see tip of the iceberg. 99% of my thoughts and feelings do not get expressed. I, I simply don't have the time. I have literally hundreds of thoughts every hour. I'd have to speak non-stop to get them all out. And even as I'm speaking, like right now, I'm having other thoughts and I don't have time to fit the words out. So nobody else can really judge me accurately at all. And that's if they were totally unbiased, which of course, because of the arrow of time and their whole life leading up to this moment, they're not unbiased. They're very, very biased. Right? They're biased by your appearance, your race, your ethnicity, your height, how much you look like people they've known in the past, whether or not you resemble their parents, all of that. Then there's your your body language and your movements, what that sets off in them, what that triggers. It's the situation they're in, the mood they're in. There's so much that goes into them having an opinion about you. The likelihood of it being accurate is almost 0%. And even when it's somebody using some sort of tool to assess you, like a school giving you a result, they don't really know how smart you are. They only know whether you did well on the test that they designed and they think is a good test. If the test is shit, then this is pointless. And there's a good chance the test is shit. I knew a lot of people, well, you know, when I did a psychology, oh shit, kicking things around. I did a psychology degree, and I'll tell you right now, when I look at my classmates, half the people were in there, maybe more than half, were complete fucking nutters. Excuse my judgmental nature. But they were there to try and figure out what was wrong with them. I would never, ever hire one of those as a psychologist. They were some severely broken people in there getting degrees. But school fucking thought they were great. Fucking handing out degrees like free snacks at a school lunch trip. People they were giving degrees to, I was saying, please do not let these people get a master's. They are so severely broken, they're only going to create more broken people. I've known a lot of children of psychologists who are so fucked up by their parenting of the psychologist. I'm not saying that all psychologists are bad at their job, there are many excellent ones, but what I'm saying is university, rating, school, dance judgments, whatever, other people can't tell you even how good you are at something. Because all they can do is rank how well you did on the test that they designed, which might not be an accurate test of who you are. Now, I won a lot of dance events, but it didn't really give you an accurate impression of what was happening, which was... I was competing in a too easy pool. I should have been going in a harder grade. I, we had been training like amateur professionals, and yet we're competing against total amateurs. So it gives you the impression that the judges think we're great dancers, but we're not. We're essentially taking the easy way out. I don't think that should be rewarded. right? So you can't even trust other people's positive judgments of you. So that was a huge factor for me. Whenever somebody judged me or I perceived them to have judged me, which is, you know, imagined opinions, which is what they are most of the time, I straight away went, how likely is this to be accurate? And I could only convince myself that it wasn't. Now, that didn't always, that, that alone didn't do the trick. I've got a lot of other things on my list here, but straight away it's like, I'm basing my self-worth on information that's this weak, this poor, this fucking scientifically inaccurate it's weird it's like watching a helium balloon float up and go well there is no gravity so i better go jump off a roof it's a very dumb conclusion to come to isn't it poor evidence to use poor conclusions to draw from the evidence other people's opinions only tell you one thing 
tells you about themselves in this moment. Tells you that they feel like saying that in this moment. That's all it tells you. And that has nothing to do with you. But it could tell you a lot of interesting information about them. Another way that psychopathy helped me was a grandiose focus on my achievements and successes. One thing that I've found is focusing on your failures is really not helpful. There's not a lot to be learned from dwelling on getting something wrong. There is stuff to be learned from failure. It's usually one clear lesson and then you move on. And what I found is I, I guess this is something that's more natural to me, not something I learned, but something I sort of picked up um, very early age. If I'm trying to learn something, get better at something, I very quickly move on from failure. You know, right now I'm learning how to play chess. I lose far more games than I win. But every time I lose a game, I'm like, what do I learn? Oh yeah, stop sacrificing your queen. Okay, next game. When I win, though, I go into my little chess app and I analyze the fuck out of it. How did I win? What were my best moves? And I've got this kind of like skewed focus on what I did well. And I found that people who are neurotic about what other people think almost always have in common a pessimistic view of themselves. They are overly skewed towards what they didn't do well. Unfairly so, inaccurately so. Particularly when you consider failures as just steps towards success. So if you look at a failure as somehow you did something wrong, it's inaccurate. What you did is learn something. And what's bad about that? Because I focus so strongly on my achievements and my successes, and I'm constantly reviewing what I did well far more often than I'm reviewing what I didn't do well, I've got a sense that I do well a lot. Because that's the truth about nearly all humans. Unless you're right now listening to this lying in a ditch drinking methylated spirits with only one shoe and three socks, you're probably doing all right. How did you get there? You know, how is it that you're not one of the people who committed suicide? How is it that you are not one of the people who's totally bombed out in life? You must have succeeded at a lot of stuff to be where you are. That's the accurate view. You know, a lot of people think, oh man, all I did today is go to work. Fucking well done. You got your ass to work. There's a lot of challenges to that. There's a lot of success going on there. But you just set the bar too high because you're comparing yourself to others or you just dismiss anything that you've found easy now as being challenging when actually it was challenging to begin with. Like you think of your first week on the job that you currently have. It was a confusing mess. And now you do it with your eyes closed. That means you're good at it. So you need to start measuring yourself properly. Another thing I started to do is realize that people who judge me negatively, all they're really telling me is that we're not a good fit for each other. Now I'll go into this maybe a little bit more later, but this came from an overall conclusion I drew that I actually don't need everyone to like me. In fact, I don't even need many people to like me. If only a tiny percentage of the population likes me, that's still too many friends than I can handle. You know, if 1% of the world liked you, you still wouldn't have time to meet with everyone, you know, or 1%. Because you're talking about millions of people, right? So if you're so repulsive that only 1% of people get any enjoyment from your company, that's still a full social calendar, <laughs> almost no matter where you live, unless you're really isolated. So the idea that you need lots of people to think you're a good person is ridiculous. You couldn't handle it if they did. That kind of popularity would destroy your life. Look at Robin Williams, he fucking killed himself. One of the most popular guys on the planet. It's obviously fucking done Donald Trump's head in, right? You don't actually want lots of people to like you. It's too much work. 
it's actually better if a lot of people just move away from you so that you only have a few great people around you. So people who judge you negatively, criticize you, make you feel bad about yourself, all they're really saying is, please don't be friends with me. Or in some cases, please exclude me from your family. Another thing that I've picked up, if you look closely at people being mean to you, you'll see defensiveness. Confident people never mean to other people. They never try to control them. Confident people are either encouraging or they just leave you alone if they don't like you. They don't really have much bandwidth dedicated to complaining. So if people are being complaint, uh, how do you say it? If people are complaining about you, see that as defensiveness. Why are they bothering? Of all the things they could be doing with their life right in that moment, why do they choose to expend their very precious time and energy on giving you shit? How's that? Is that the best use of their time? Really? Like that's the best thing they could come up with? All that tells you is these people really got their priorities fucked up. And people who have fucked up priorities are people with low self-confidence. So those people judging you are really just revealing themselves to be low in self-confidence. They're defensive. They're trying to protect themselves from something by casting a spotlight onto you, perhaps. Trying to control you. A confident person wouldn't do that. And when you look at it, you start to see their true motives. Instead of saying, what are they saying about me? Ask yourself, why are they saying it? When somebody has an opinion of you, either positive or negative, and they share that opinion with you, you could ask yourself first and foremost, why are they telling me this? And what you'll often find is that the reason is not just to honestly speak their mind. Because quite often what they're telling you isn't even fully accurate or honest. It's actually a manipulative tool to try and move you in some way. This is what helped me, like, for example, the example I gave before, someone giving my book a one-star review. You know, at first I'm like, ouch, you know, way to shit on a guy who just spent like three years writing a book. And it was kind of like a resentment in me, like, why do people do this? I, I never leave one-star reviews, I just don't buy the thing again, you know. But I was like, why is he doing this? And I thought, well, let's answer that question. Why would somebody go to the effort, log into Amazon, and leave a one-star review, for a book they didn't like. Now, it could be they just genuinely didn't like the book and they want to do like a public service preventing other people from going through the suffering they went through reading my words on a page, right? And maybe that's true. But when you look at how they're written, I'll give one in particular. One guy gave me a one-star review, wrote this massive write-up about why I was wrong. And as I read through the write-up, I realized... He's talking about stuff that's not in my book. He didn't actually read it. He kind of guessed what's in the book and wrote a review based on that. And then I saw, wait, it's not even a verified purchase. I can't even be sure this guy's even read my book. First glance, it looked like he had, but then there's some details in the review. I'm like, shit, I don't think he's actually read it. And then right at the end, he actually recommends another book. When I go have a look at it, he's affiliated to it. Now, this is a very obvious example, but I was like, holy shit, his one-star review of my book is actually just marketing for his now, it's not always like that, but at first glance, I didn't quite see it like that. I just thought this guy's giving me shit. And I realized, no, this guy's basically using very black hat, underhanded marketing tactics. Other people are just grandstanding. They like to criticize others because it gets attention. They're the kind of people who complain loudly to the manager, you know, the Karens. They go up and make a big scene. You gotta understand, they're not really complaining that the food was cold. 
They're just making a scene. They like to make scenes. They like to be seen making a scene. And then, of course, you'll see the people trying to move you personally. Like if your parents criticize you and give you shit. You might notice that it seems to steer you towards making them look good. Or making you more manageable for them. Or passing on the family legacy where you're like them so they feel that like they've been validated. You'll notice that it's almost never pushing you towards what's best for you. And that's the main thing to look for. You might not know what someone's motives really are, but you can ask yourself, do I feel like I'm being pushed towards what's best for me? And if the answer is no, then you can come to a clear conclusion. The other person's motive is not about what's best for me. It's something else. And as soon as you realize that, you realize, holy shit, this person's opinion is trying to steer me away from what's best for me. Why the fuck am I listening to this? What kind of person does that to another person? You know, when I give somebody negative feedback, it is always, always, at least these days, with their best interests at heart. Sometimes I'll even refer someone away from me, so you might say that I lose their business, because it's what's best for them. Just this week, I think, I uh, last week I referred two people who wanted coaching with me onto other coaches. Why? Because I thought those other coaches were a better fit. You know, I could have scooped up that business for myself. But my feedback to them was, I think you need to see this guy, not me. That was my opinion. That's why I feel very, uh, quite secure in the judgments I make about other people, is because I've got this huge focus, what is best for them. I usually come to the conclusion that the truth is best for them. So sometimes I say things that people perceive as mean or ruthless. But even if I'm wrong, my intention is to try and do good for them. It's often, well not always, but often means they like me less, but that's okay. Because my overall intention is to do what's best for other people. Even if it hurts. So when you see someone's true motive, it, it becomes a lot harder to take them seriously. Even when you're right in the thick of it, it can help. You know, if you're being gaslighted by your partner, if your partner's being really cruel to you, you could ask yourself, why would someone be cruel to the person they love? There's a lot of different reasons, but one reason certainly isn't for their best interest, is it? You wouldn't do it to make your partner feel better about themselves, or to live a better life. You'd never be mean to your own partner for any reason other than your own gain. As soon as you see that, you have to doubt the validity of the opinion. Is this opinion real? Is it just a weapon being used against me? How can this person be accurate when they're so not focused on what's good for me? Another factor. I ruthlessly weed my garden. talk about it in my book, The Naked Truth, Weeding Your Social Garden. If you really want to drop the amount of bad opinions you get, cut people out of your life when they give them to you. Now, it doesn't mean that you should cut off anybody who's got some negative feedback for you, because sometimes that feedback is helpful. It's not about being thin-skinned and easily offended. But if you can come to the conclusion clearly that somebody is trying to hurt you and it's not for your own best interests, fuck them. Cut them off. You know, my YouTube channel, if someone does like an insulting comment, I just block them. I just delete them from the channel. They'll never get to see my videos ever again. I do the same thing on my blog. Now, if somebody has negative feedback, like they're being critical of my ideas but not mean personally, then I'll leave it. You know, if it's a rational, intellectual debate, I love it. But people just being a dick, cut them out as quickly as possible, even if they're family. Fuck it. This is where you can just, like, turn on your inner psychopath for a second and go, you know what, I've got one life, I'm not going to spend it being poisoned by this motherfucker. Out. 
Block your number. Block social media. Don't respond to anything. Ask your friends to make sure that they don't pass on any messages. Cut that person out. There's almost 8 billion people on the planet. You don't need to be investing in anyone who isn't great for you. Even mediocre people need to be cut. I cut people fucking ruthlessly. I really do. I just do not have contact with mediocre people. If I'm at a party and nobody in the party is like a great fit for me, I just walk away. I just go home. Really, I'd rather sit at home and do nothing than have mediocre conversations. And that's my ruthless side, which I've really sort of allowed to run wild over the last few years. I've like let the dog out of the cage and fuck, he does me a lot of favors, that dog. Every time I cut someone, I'm like, ah, that is so much better. That dead weight is dragging behind me. You do not need to keep anyone in your life. You do not owe anyone your fucking devotion or loyalty for any reason. I don't care if they're your own parents. If they don't treat you well, fuck it. Move on. You'll be so glad you did later. On this sort of theme, I also came to the realization that everybody is just a great ape. What I mean by that is we are just apes. We're in the same family as gorillas and chimpanzees. We're just primates. And it doesn't matter if someone wears a suit, or if they're on TV, or they're your grandparents. They're just a skeleton with meat and skin and nerve cells and insecurities and baggage. Like any other fucker. Right. Nobody has extra social status. Nobody is special. I don't give any extra weight to an opinion from anyone because of their status. Like, if a celebrity thought that I was a loser, it doesn't matter to me any more than if a homeless guy thinks of me as a loser. Because they're both just primates, right? And, And their different statuses in life are usually just down to luck. Almost entirely luck where you end up in life. So why would I give someone credit for their luck, right? What I do give extra weight to is how helpful the feedback is and how accurate the person is likely to be. So if someone knows me really well, I've asked for their opinion, and they're trying their best to help me, I'll give that a lot of weight. If someone doesn't know me very well, they're not trying to help me, I give it almost no weight at all. It doesn't matter who they are, alright? I don't care if they're the president of the fucking universe. If they don't know me well, then their opinion isn't worth shit. Okay. What I like personally is rather than opinions on who I am, I like opinions on what I'm doing. So I'll ask a dance teacher how well I'm dancing, you know. I'll ask a successful entrepreneur how well I'm managing my finances. I'll ask a top performing athlete on whether the exercise I'm doing is right for my body. But that's not caring what other people think of me. That's caring what experts think of my techniques. Very different thing. And I don't take it personally. If someone says, you know, if a millionaire who's got seven successful businesses says that I'm managing my money poorly, I'm going to be like, okay, well, how well do I, how do I do it better then? But I'm not going to be like, fuck, I'm a loser. Because I just, how can I be a loser for not knowing something that I don't know yet? Like, what the fuck? That's a crazy thing to rate myself on. Of course I don't have skills that I don't have. What a crazy thing to think. And last but not least, evolutionary psychology. I say it in my book, we are the descendants of social pussies. Neuroticism, the trait of neuroticism, has been the single greatest trait in keeping humans alive. Okay, Worrying what other people think is the reason you're alive today. Your ancestors did that a lot, because they had to. 
if you weren't worrying about what other people thought of you, even just a few hundred years ago, you died, right? It was very important. There's a very political world that humans have been part of ever since the beginning. You had to be part of a tribe, you had to be part of the right religion, or you fucking died. These days it doesn't actually matter that much, but we've still got that genetic wiring. So it means that I can't take my own reaction to other people's opinions seriously because it's just neuroticism. I'm just worried about something that's not a threat. And I can't take their opinions seriously because they're formed from their own neuroticism. Their own worries have led them to be judgmental. So no one can be taken seriously, myself included. All of this, and I know it all sounds very rational and psychopathic, but all of this makes it very hard for me to have an emotional reaction to someone disliking me or disapproving of me. Because when I run it through all these filters, by the end I'm just like, holy shit, I'm reacting to something that doesn't even make sense. Certainly doesn't have any reliability or validity. It's almost certainly untrue. It's just stealing my bandwidth. This is a pointless piece of information that does not help me at all and has almost no accuracy to it. I also employ what's called Hume's Guillotine. For those of you who uh, haven't heard of it, it's a psychology thing. don't remember his first name, actually. Is it David? David Hume? Anyway, Hume's Guillotine is that you can't get an is from an ought. Or you can't get an ought from an is. I think it goes both ways. And what that means is you can't determine a fact from a preference or a prescription. And you can't determine a prescription from a fact. So for example, if the fact is that McDonald's is unhealthy to eat, you can't say, well, therefore you can't eat McDonald's. I mean, you can say it, but it doesn't make it true. You can still eat McDonald's. Nothing stops you. So you can't get like a prescription, a should, from a fact. Now, for the same reason, I think of this when I can't get facts on who I am from what other people think I should be. There's no relationship between those two things. Commentary on who I should be from other people gives me absolutely no information at all about who I really am. None at all. Not even a little bit. All it gives me is their perception of me, and that's assuming they're not lying. And most of the time, they're at least lying to themselves. So they're not giving me anything I can use to figure out who I am. The facts about who I am, my true values, my true skills, my true beliefs, my core personality, my traits, I can't get that from anyone else. From other people, I can only get what they think I should be. And that doesn't help me at all. All they can tell me is what they want to tell me for some hidden reason, usually to control me. That doesn't give me any information on my values. I, 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 I'm alone here. When it comes to figuring out who you are and what you should be doing with your life, you're all alone. I mean, you can hire someone like me to help you find it, but I never tell my clients who they are or who they should be. I just give them methodologies for them to figure it out for themselves because it's Hume's guillotine. You can't get an is from an ought or an ought from an is. And it's like I said, it's the other way around. So I am... 70% psychopathic, but that doesn't mean I should be in prison. <laughs> it doesn't mean that I should be a serial killer. I've instead decided to be a coach and a father and a loving person. So I can do whatever I want with my traits. I don't have to become anything just because somebody says I should. Maybe you're really good at maths. That doesn't mean you should be a mathematician. Maybe you'll be a great chess player or maybe you'll be a ballet dancer. 
it's amazing to me how many people are doing something for a job simply because they were good at it. It's not actually a great reason to do something for a job. You think about how many people excel at some subject at school, so everyone said, well, if you're good at that, you should do this for a job, and now they're in a boring job. It's like uh, Kumar says on Harold and Kumar, just because you're hung like a donkey doesn't mean you've got to do porn. So other people's opinions don't actually tell you shit about what you should be doing with your life, and they should be dismissed. You can even use a hitch's razor, which is anything that's presented without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. So if someone says you are this, that, and the other, and should be this, that, and the other, and they've got no valid evidence to back that up, you don't need to disprove them. You just dismiss them. You don't need to provide evidence about why they're wrong, because they didn't even provide evidence about why they're right. So fuck them. Don't even get into the conversation. (sighs) Another thing that helps me, the 1% rule. As I said before, you don't need everyone to like you. In fact, you couldn't handle it if they did. What What I came to as a conclusion is, at most, for me to have a decent social life, I need 1% of people to like me. 1 in 100. 3 out of 300, if you want to think of it that way. If you're in a stadium full of 1,000 people, only 10 of them are worth connecting with. When you think about it like that, you should be getting rid of as many people as possible. So the only time that somebody's opinion should really matter to you is if it's a good opinion, right? But even then, it's not for your self-worth. It's just they're saying, hey, I might want to connect with you. And then of the people who have good opinions of you, you need to cut the ones you don't like and be left with the people that you also have good opinions of. And that's where good connections start. And even then, that's only the beginning that can quickly dissolve into something else and you need to make sure you're only left with really good fits. But you don't need everyone to like you. Even if you're thinking practically, if you're one of those people who's worried that social approval is necessary for survival, like you can't get a job or whatever, still 1%. If 1% of people like you, that's millions of people. You'll find a job. You'll find flatmates and a place to live. You'll get a circle of friends. You'll get everything you need in that 1%. Try to please 100% of people, you might actually end up at zero. Because if you're being fake and trying to please people, maybe nobody will really like you. I think that's much higher risk than 1%. Another thing I started doing is actually asking people what their judgments were. This was mostly to eliminate my imagined judgments. It's a thing me and Mike Wells from Brojo call say it rather than solve it. When you're worried what people think, go and tell them that you're worried what they think and find out what they really think. You know, go face the truth. Not only find out what their judgments are, but maybe try to discover what their motives are for having that judgment. Why do they think that? Rather than guessing, explore it. Explore their rationale for coming to that conclusion. Be skeptical on the conclusions that they've drawn. So you don't have to worry what people think you know. Or at least you know as much as they're honestly able to tell you. You'll find actually there's a sense of peace. You're so worried about finding out that you spend your whole time guessing. But when you do actually find out, there's closure there. You know, when you ask someone out and they say, no, I'm not attracted to you. Maybe you'll sleep that night, finally. Instead of lying awake fantasizing about them. Like, it's good to have the fantasy killed. You can move on with your life. Stop wasting time living in an imagination land. Most importantly, you need to design your own self-worth system. You need to find a way of impressing yourself so that by the time you go to socialize with other people, your approval and validation cup has already been filled by you. I won't go into full detail on this podcast because it's already getting a bit long, but... You decide on something you need to do to impress yourself. You go experiment with it. You earn confidence, you might say. 
you measure how well it went and give yourself an accurate, fair judgment on how well you did according to your values, and then you rinse and repeat. And you just do, and that's just your whole life. That's what you do all the time. Right? So, right now I'm doing it. So, I thought about what's the best uh, podcast I can do coming back for 2021. And I've been talking to myself in the car, as I often do, about how I'm a psychopath and how that benefits me. And and so I'll do a podcast on that. So that's my explore phase of the 3X model. I'll decide on doing that podcast. I'm doing it right now. It's an experiment. I can't even remember what I've said. Right? I'm just in it. Trying my best to be as honest and helpful as possible. And then when I go to edit it, I have to listen to it again. And I'll give myself some feedback on bits I did well and bits that need to be improved in the future. And then by the end of that, by the time it goes out, if somebody says, I don't like your podcast, I don't give a fuck. Really, because I've already decided how good it is, and I don't need your help with that. Even if I've decided that the podcast sucks, I still don't care if somebody else believes that, because it's still not a valid piece of information. I've already decided. But I might run it past, say, my top clients, and say, if this was helpful, and if they say no, that I might take more seriously, but I won't take it personally. It's not about me, it's just about this particular podcast and how helpful it was, which is almost nothing to do with me. Lastly, A weird thing that I found really helpful that went against all of my instincts as a people pleaser but just changed my life. Never defend yourself. It's the weirdest thing. You're going to feel like you have to do it. Someone challenges you, accuses you, has a judgment about you that you know is not accurate, believes things about you that you know are not true. You're going to feel compelled to correct them. You're going to get defensive as it's known. But you'd be amazed at how much better your life gets if you don't. If you go, hey, if you want to believe that, that's on you. Now you can say things like, look, if you ever want to find out the truth instead of believing that, we can talk about it, but I'm not going to try and change your mind. You just believe whatever you like. You'd be amazed at the relief you get, the release from just letting go of controlling other people's opinions of you. Just let them believe whatever they like. Because people who are a good fit for you, they'll put effort into trying to find out who you really are. And if you're being honest and respectful to yourself, you're giving everyone the best chance to form accurate opinions. So this is kind of two-way street. Before you stop defending yourself, you also have to start being honest. So that way, if someone forms an opinion of you that's inaccurate, you've already done your best. You're like, I gave you top quality information, you fucked it up, that's on you. But unless you're required for legal reasons, or to keep your job, to defend yourself, Don't do it. It's a quote from Michael J. Fox. Other people's opinions are none of my business. Let other people have their skewed opinions. What you'll often find is a couple of things happen. One is, you didn't really care about that person anyway. Once you realize, like, let go of trying to make someone like you, you realize you don't even like them. That would have been a waste of effort. Why why do you want to turn someone around when you don't even want to be their friend? Fuck it, let them hate you. It'll save you some effort. At least you won't have to try and get rid of them at the party or whatever. But also, you'll find that good fit people will respond in an interesting way to you not defending yourself. You know, if your response is like, huh, it's interesting that you believe that about me, and then you don't say any more, they're going to actually want to engage with you more. So what, is that not true? Uh, Look, I'm not here to tell you what to believe. You've formed a judgment of me, based on almost no evidence at all, but... If you want to hang on to that judgment, be that guy, that's on you. I'm not, really, I'm not even bitter about it. Just, you be you, 
I'll be over here if you ever want to hear the truth. Good fit connections will come and try and get that truth from you. Bad fit connections will just hold on to their opinion because they can't be bothered having their mind challenged. And you won't have the fucking effort of being defensive. Which you'd be amazed when you drop it, you'll realize how much time you spend explaining yourself, justifying, what I call pre-justifying, like before you even express yourself, you try to like set the scene so that people will accept what you're about to say, which usually just confuses them because it's way too much suspense and build up. When you drop all that, like the effort goes out of your socializing, you're like, huh, just anybody, you believe whatever you want, I'm not even going to explain myself. Either you understand me or you don't, and if you don't and want to, you'll come and ask. But if you just want to take something you don't understand and turn it into a conclusion, then, oh, I can't help you. Maybe God can, but I can't, right? You're doomed if that's how your mind works. And it's not my job to fix you. Okay. I don't know if that's all I have to say on the topic, but it's all I'm going to say today. I really hope that helps somebody. You know, removing caring from my life, you know, removing that worry about other people's opinions from my life, it's... Ah, it's like losing 100 kgs, you know? It's just, I just, I'm weightless now in social situations. I'll see people, fuck, I mean, I get comments and stuff online. People very open about their judgments. I just look at them and just go, eh. And I just move on to something better with my life. Like I said, there are exceptions. Occasionally one gets through my arm and I'm like, ouch. But then I quickly go through this rational analysis and the thing just withers away. I'm just like, what the fuck am I even caring about this thing for? And my self-worth bounces back and, you know, I'm back into it. And also helps me with my judgments of others. When I come to conclusions about other people, I'm like, how likely am I to be accurate? And that challenge is helpful for me because most of the time I'm as inaccurate as anybody else. Unless I'm working with someone who is being really honest with me and I'm getting to know them. In which case they make it easy for me to be accurate because they tell me if I'm right or wrong. You know, I don't have to guess. Like I said... I actually believe that I can cure people of the illness of caring what other people think. And if you want to be cured, you can get in touch with me. We can talk about it. Thank you so much for listening. I'll catch you all next time. Cheers. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity.